Uh, if Elliot sang that song, it would sound like this. I just called to say I love me. That would be Elliot Friedman's version. I, I, of while while the classic. lyrics are true, it wouldn't have sounded that good. Welcome once again to 32 Thoughts, the podcast brought to you, as always, by the GMC Sierra. Merrick alongside Friedman and Dom Shramati. And, you know, I know, Elliot, you've been getting uh, some texts and DMs about, you know, from some of our American listeners wanting more of an accent placed on our friends to the south. So let's do that. William Nylander and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> Although we will get there. We will get there. Relax, everybody. But one of... <laughs> Very good, like Jeff. Thank you. Very thank you, good. Thank you. Well, you know, all the Canadians say that Toronto is basically a U.S. city anyway. <laughs> That's right. Toronto is not Canada. There's Toronto and then there is Canada. The two are not That's the same. Right. Okay. Uh, let's start off with a couple of different places here. And let's start off at the most recent. Um, it's always tough watching players struggle to get back from injury. Yeah. It's always tough to see it go a year. It's really tough to see it go two years with a little bit of a speed wobble in the middle. Max Pacioretty and the Washington Capitals. Now, the Capitals uh, trailed the Los Angeles Kings twice in that game on Sunday, down 2-1, to one, down 3-2. to two. Uh, Pacioretty picks up an assist in the process, kind of gives a speech that really fires up the Washington Capitals in the room after as well. Yeah. Your thoughts on what we saw from Pacioretty specifically? Jeff, it really is one of the best things that these NHL teams do on social media is the post game after a win, when the coach gives out the game award or the players pass, whatever it is, the championship belt or the hard hat or, or the ax to each other, whatever all these teams do. Like Simon Benoit the other day for the Maple Leafs, I can't score a bleeping goal, but I'm I'm glad to hit the bodies <laughs> for you guys. It's a great line. Pacioretty was was excellent. It it was really a great moment uh, in the aftermath of that game. That was a rough two years for me, boys. And uh, I learned one thing: it's not to take things for granted. And uh, we that game proved we have a special group in here. And let's make sure we never take that feeling for granted. Yeah. Yeah! I have to say this: the the Capitals. I don't think I was the only one, but after the first week of the season, I thought they were going to be roadkill this year, and I and I don't think I'm the only person who thought that. But they found some speed, and they they found a way. And you know, there's a lot of talk about coach of the year candidates. The carburetor has done a really nice job in Washington so far. You know, the only thing I would say to Spencer Carberry about his performance is. I'm watching that video that they sent out after the victory to the, uh, over the Kings and carburetors going into his pants for the puck with Pacioretty's first point on it. Uh -huh. And those pockets were a little deep, Spencer. I, I think he needs shorter pockets because oh it looked goodness. like his hand was going to come out the bottom of his legs. But um, he, he, he eventually dug the puck out and it really was a, a great moment. And you could see how emotional it was for, for Pacioretty. That was a... That, that was a big moment for him and a big moment for the team. And uh, I have to say, I am pleasantly surprised by where Washington is at this point in the season. Uh, John Carlson, excellent in that game. John Carlson, yep. uh, no surprise. I mean, we talked Camper about how was much. was great, too. 
Kemper, outstanding. We talked last year about how that Carlson injury really damaged uh, the Washington Capitals almost beyond repair. Uh, it's great to see him back. Um, I do like, by the way, the fact that we were encouraged to talk about American teams off the top, and your first reference is to a Toronto Maple Leafs defense. You know what? Don't I was think that's about lost. That I, was doing it. I was like, just keep going. Don't stop. Just keep going. Maybe nobody will notice. Thanks for that. And we yeah. also should point out the Hershey Bears did their teddy bear toss. Oh, it's the best. 75, I think it was something like 75,000 so good bears have now been thrown over the years. Um, it was uh, it was pretty impressive. Another uh, great video of their fans tossing these bears on the ice. You know, I, I don't mind telling you, and you're probably not surprised by it. You've probably actually seen it uh, how many times we've worked together. Uh, my screensaver on uh, <laughs> on my laptop is uh, Hershey Bears teddy bear toss from a few years ago with someone tossing oh, right. the world's biggest teddy bear onto the ice. I've always wondered, like, if there was ever, like, a movement for crowds to bring... Because I'm sure you've seen, like, every now and then a giant bear gets tossed. Uh, this is the biggest one that I've ever seen. And it's Hershey, and everyone's wearing those cool jerseys. And here's this yeah. enormous bear coming over the glass. Anyway, it's one of my favorite hockey photographs, and that's my screensaver. Love the Hershey Bears. Love the teddy bear toss. Love everything about it. So I'm glad you mentioned that, Elliot. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, um, and I'm and glad you pointed out that after saying we're going to start with the States, I, I brought up a Canada <laughs> reference immediately. Old habits <laughs> die hard, <laughs> people. Yeah, they the really Capitals. Do. You know, it re reminds me of uh, uh, Benoit, the defenseman for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Let me tell you a story here. Um, <laughs> Brant Clark uh, back up yeah. with the Los Angeles Kings. This was a big week. Let me get my hockey geek on here. For the 2003-born Don Mills Flyers um, GTHL AAA team, one of the best you know minor hockey teams that the GTHL has ever had. Um, Brant Clark comes up to play with the Los Angeles Kings again, and Brennan Othman. Uh, makes his debut with the New York Rangers against the Chicago Blackhawks earlier in the week. Nonetheless, Brant Clark back with the LA Kings. So I have to go through this and do the math, but someone who follows this a lot closer than I do, uh, I think Clark was third in scoring in the American Hockey League when he was called up. To do what he's doing as a 20-ish year old in the AHL in terms of his numbers is really unheard of. It's something I actually have to go through and look at, but someone said... If, if you check the history and do the math, nobody does what this kid is doing in the American Hockey League as a 20-year-old player right now. When he was called up, after 30 games, he had 32 points, 7 goals, and 25 assists. Yes, it's really hard, to do, really hard to do that as a young defenseman in the American League. So he's impressive. Now, remember last year there were some rumors about him at the trade deadline. They called his representatives and told him, the Kings did, they called his reps and said, we're not trading him. We want you to know that we're not trading him. Now, at the same time, uh, you know, I, I think that nobody, nobody doubts Clark's talent. I do think at times there's been some battle over whether or not maturity-wise he was ready for the NHL. But look, like they've had trouble scoring. The kid is lighting it up down there. They, you, you reach a point where you say, we're going we're gonna to shake things up a bit. And we're going to bring this kid to the NHL. And I watched him a little bit on, on Sunday. And the thing that I really liked about him was it wasn't so much the offense, but he clearly made it known he was not going to be intimidated. He started a couple of scrums. 
And that's one of the things I always wonder, like you said, it's not the first time he's been up. He played nine games last year. But after the kind of year he's having this year, I just wondered would he hit the ground running. And the Kings lost, and they're not going very well. Um, but he, I thought, did not look intimidated. He really looked engaged. I thought that was a really good sign. You know, the tough thing for him is, like, are they going to let him go on the power play there? You know, obviously, when you're that kind of a player and that kind of score in the American Hockey League, you, you know, you you need to be put in offensive situations. I don't know if that's going to be possible for him in L.A., but you can definitely see the talent and you can definitely see the attitude. Yeah, I mean, he's a, like Elliot, he's a sublime skater. He he really is, and he's destined for power play time in the in the National Hockey League. I remember last year uh, when he went back to the Barry Colts after the World Juniors, and it was like beer league. Like, this guy is like, okay, this the, he's way, way outgrown this league. Like, you, you can just tell. So as much as those points in the American Hockey League are spectacular, and they are, um, there are a lot of people that are saying like, well, yeah, duh, that's what that's what Brant Clark does. Speaking of Brant Clark, one other thing that we should mention, even though he's been reassigned to Utica, his brother uh, got called up to play with the New Jersey Devils against the Vancouver Canucks. So it was quite the weekend uh, yep. for the Clark family. So congratulations. That's fantastic for them. That's great. Yes, absolutely. Kids in the NHL. Very congratulations. congratulations to that family. Uh, Connor Bedard, uh, mentioning the, uh, New Jersey Devils playing the Chicago Blackhawks, Connor Bedard and the Brendan Smith hit and the fractured jaw and everything that happened after that. And before we get to it, I don't know about you, but you and I are the same vintage and maybe your brain went to the same place. When you saw the hit, did you not have shades of 1981 and Bill McCreary, Wayne Gretzky? I did. I, I did. So uh, the, it just shows you how much everything has changed. When Bill McCreary hit Wayne Gretzky, le- years later, one of the players on the Toronto Maple Leaf bench uh, told me that when McCreary got back to the bench, one of the players said to him, like, nobody cheered him. Nobody cheered him. Uh, one of the guys turned to McCreary and said, are you trying to get us all killed? Like that was the NHL in 1981. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, like nobody's cheering Brendan Smith here, but nobody's saying to him, you're, you're going to get us all killed. It just shows you the difference of where we are in 50 years, right? Or 40 years. I'm sorry there. I was told there was no math. Um, but th- I did think about it, Jeff. It was, I I actually, I watched that hit not too long ago and it was very similar. Like someone said to me, it reminded them of Scott Stevens and Eric Lindros. And I was like, come on, it's not the same. You know, I, I don't think that this was anywhere near as violent as that. And I have to say, I think Luke Richardson deserves a lot of credit for honestly saying that was not a dirty hit and diffusing the situation. I think Brendan Smith, did what anybody in that like i know people hate fights after clean hits to me this is different um this is connor bedard and the black whether it's a clean hit or not the blackhawks had to respond the way they did anything less would have been they would have gotten absolutely destroyed for it 
Um, like the least, for example, get from time to time when they don't stand up for each other, more Canadian tie-ins. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I saw, I saw Smith hosted a big charity event on Sunday with the devils. Um, I don't know how anybody could argue that like nobody here did anything wrong. Bedard got hit. Smith hit him cleanly. Richardson made it clear it was a clean hit. The Blackhawks raced to stand up for their teammate and the Devils just went on and, you know, won the game. I, I think I think I'm like everybody else. It just stinks because I have no doubt that well, Bedard doesn't want to be out of the lineup. That's number one. Mm-hmm. And number two, it just stinks like McDavid getting hurt stinks in his rookie year because everybody wants to watch him play. It, it it does, and the you know, the other person that I think of in all of this as well uh, is Nick Foligno, who um, had the fight with Brendan Smith afterwards. Mm-hmm. I don't think that anybody had a problem with it. I think everybody no. understood the situation, and Brendan Smith understood the situation, and both were willing. It was one of the longer fights we've seen this year. Yes, very um, long. It was, and I think everybody understood that, and I'm always wondering... You know, at what point you earn your next contract and considering what Nick Foligno has meant on and off the ice for Connor Bedard, I can't help but thinking part of me is like Nick Foligno just earned his next contract with the Blackhawks. Did you feel the same way? Yes, but, uh, you know, the one thing I I would say to that is I, I was actually talking about this with a player last week and they said that. If Nick Foligno had won a Stanley Cup, he bet he would sign with Chicago like right now, if it, if that option was available to him. But he said that Nick Foligno was 36, and what he wondered was, does Nick Foligno hope that he could still end up in a Stanley Cup situation? Because in Chicago right now, and I don't want to – like. I feel like this is almost the wrong day to say this because with $13 million dressed at forward, they just beat the Calgary Flames. Oh, man. But I don't think I'm really insulting anyone to say that the Chicago Blackhawks do not have Stanley Cup dreams this season or next. So that's what they said to me. You know, they, it was just a purely a player's perspective. Would Felino, if you, if you extend, you know, you're not, you're not playing for the Stanley Cup this year. And so how do you feel about that? You mentioned it, so just a, a quick thought on it as well. I mean, on the IR, there's $35 million. Uh, on the ice, there's 32. Uh, we talked about this last week on the podcast, and you wondered if that had ever happened before. Almost yep. like you willed it into existence, Elliot, and there it was. Um, there's a thought on a gutsy win by the Blackhawks. We'll get to what it means for the Flames later when we or allowed to talk about Canada again. Um, but what a gutsy win by the Chicago Blackhawks that was for each. Well, it sure was because there, when, when people were, I, I saw it, they tweeted out the lineups of who was taking warmups for Chicago and yeah. people were like Calgary by 46. Like nobody thought that the Blackhawks were going to win this game. And they did like big brass ones for Chicago and Colin Blackwell how many try how many times do you shoot at the empty net at the end of that yeah. game twice yeah I, I don't blame him either and i would have kept feeding him if i was out there just keep giving them a buck until they scored it remember last year the flames missed the playoffs not largely but one of the contributing factors was how poorly they played against chicago 
Like basically, I don't know if you're a DC Universe guy, Jeff. <laughs> but not as much flames, as you are, Elliot. Yeah, if the Flames were Superman and oh the Blackhawks were Brainiac, all of our knowledge would be collected by now. <laughs> Someone out there is going to get that. Uh, <sighs> you know what? I, I want, but a big win for the Blackhawks. And I'll say this too. I have to think that one player that Kyle Davidson is going to be getting called on is going to be Jason Dickinson. I know it didn't go well for him in Vancouver, but he's looked like a different player in Chicago. And I've got to think that some of these contenders looking for a depth center could do a hell of a lot worse than Jason Dickinson. So I wouldn't be surprised. And the other thing I would do if I was, if I was Kyle Davidson right now is I might call Phil Kessel. Because you need players, you're going to need goals. And the other thing you can do is it's long enough to the trade deadline, two months, that if you get Kessel up and going, you might be able to get hmm. something for him at the deadline. That's it, especially with, with Especially with Bedard out, give yeah. your fans a reason to buy a ticket. That is a really interesting one. Hmm. I never considered that before. Let me, uh, let me ruminate on that one. Uh, and as we do, um, quick thought on the, uh, on the flames here. Uh, now it puts them on the wrong side of 500. Um, we thought that was going to be the tap in game for the Calgary flames. Jonathan Huberto, by the way, now playing with the white tape again. Interesting for those of you who care about things like that. He snapped his slump when he went to the black tape and now he's back to the white. Welcome to the triviality that your is buddy, podcast. Mark Savard, keeping us all guessing. Oh man, savvy taping twigs with savvy. I'm telling you, it's that the great YouTube sensation. Uh, actually... Thoughts on the flames on this one. Well, I, I thought they played really well in, in Philadelphia on Saturday. That was a great game on Saturday afternoon, and they just got beat, unfortunately. But, you know, you can't have that. If you're trying to compete for the playoffs, and they are, you, you can't lose games like that. It's, it's, it's very disappointing, and it's very disheartening. And, you know, I can understand why Flames fans would be emotional. And I'm sure the organization is emotional after a game like that. You, you hate it. Um, you know, I mean, you hate it and it's, it's embarrassing. Like you feel embarrassed for 24 hours after something like that. Um, you know, the, the thing about the Flames is Hannafin, it's wild. He had a big extension at the beginning of the year. And in the neighborhood of 60 million. And after a couple losses, he kind of changed his mind. They, they had a verbal agreement, basically. He changed his mind and it went away. And they saw what the market was for him. And now I heard they're talking again. And, you know, there, there's, there's differing degrees of belief on how significant there is. There are some people who think that... There have been some momentum. There are some people who say it's not really a huge change from before. It was always open. But I thought when that extension didn't happen at the beginning of the year, any chance that Hannafin was staying was over. And, you know, he still might end up getting traded, but I, I, I don't think it's over. I don't think it's 100% a guarantee. And the one thing about Hannafin is he's younger. He's 27. So I think there's a feeling that there's, there's, it makes sense in some ways maybe to keep him. Now, again, 
As I said Saturday night, that's no guarantee, and we'll see where things go closer to the deadline. But, you know, one thing I really thought was that there was no chance he was going to stay in Calgary. And I had a couple people telling me on the weekend, it's it's not no chance. I think there's there's a possibility. But I, I don't know how to handicap it. I, I really don't. Okay, we're going to get to Nylander soon, folks. But more American content first. Um, let me go at this this way. The last player to score on Patrick Waugh and end his career was who? Andrew Burnett. The goaltender who tied Patrick Waugh's Rins record on the weekend was who? Marc-Andre Fleury. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you think Marc-Andre Fleury hates the Minnesota Wild? <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I got to tell you, that, that game on Saturday night, that last minute. Oh, wild. So good. He had to go to the bench three times before they got him off. Justin Danforth, and my new nickname for Justin Danforth is Greek Town. Nice, uh, nice. For those of you who don't get it, Danforth Great is, Toronto is reference. Greek Town in Toronto. Yes. So Greek Town had a chance to win the net, and he was distracted by Flurry diving, and he, he missed the open net. They go down, they score. Then he makes an unbelievable save off Chinnikov in overtime. Oh. Oh. And then they go down and they score. And uh, I have to say, my my Connor Bedard winning the Rookie of the Year because of all the extra attention and all the extra responsibilities you've taken take has not gone over well among Wild fans who are <laughs> drooling over Brock Faber, who looked great. They in should. They should. Night. You know, I'll say this: this whole Bedard injury thing. Yep. Because you remember what that did to McDavid in his rookie year. It cost him the Calder Trophy. Um, that's going to thicken the plot here uh, with with Bedard and Faber and everybody else who's involved. But that Faber looks unbelievable. You know, the thing, too, is, and and Fleury will have his chance on Monday night against Dallas to pass Waugh for second place. But, but, you know, I was one thing I was looking at in the NHL history is – goalies playing a thousand games and maybe maybe we shouldn't be surprised about this because we've gone from an era where you know the Brodeurs played 65 to 70 games a year and yeah. now look where we're going you you look at the list I, I don't know if we're going to see another goalie do this Jonathan I... Quick yeah. Needs 233 more games for a thousand. Now, Jonathan Quick takes things very personally. I I'm sorry, but I don't think he's going to get there. Uh, ducking, ducking, because, you know, <laughs> I love Quick, but he's got a Swings big chip wildly. on his shoulder. Yeah. yeah when he hears this, he's going to be coming at me. You know, Sergei Bobrovsky needs 328 games. What is that now? That's. That's seven seasons, maybe. You know, the the one guy who jumped into my head was Vasilevsky. Vasilevsky is at 443. And he's gonna be and, and he's gonna be 30 this year. He's an interesting one. Connor Hellebuck is at 473. 
and he just turned 30. Like those, like, but those guys we're talking 500 plus games for them as they get older. But other than that, Jeff, like the 1000 game goalie, we're not going to see one for a long time. If ever, if ever. I say this remembering that when I was a kid, 103 career shutouts, which was held by Terry Sawchuk, oh, seemed, yeah. seemed unattainable. Yeah. Now, that has been blasted. But the one thing that I am very confident in saying, I can't see this record broken. And it speaks to what you're talking about with the 1,000 games. Is Glenn Hall? For netminders. No, is the all-time wins by a goaltender, Martin Brodeur. Is anyone going to touch 691? Look, I think the most unbreakable record in sports is Glenn Hall, 502 consecutive starts in a row. That is the most ironclad yep. record, not only in hockey, but in sports. Mm -hmm. So don't bring me wins. Wins are immaterial. I'm talking about stars. <laughs> yes, that one, no one is going to touch. Park that. But it was a much, much... And actually, it's even longer if you factor in his AHL streak as well. Uh, but yes, to your point, that NHL streak is not going to get touched. But no, like who's touching 691 wins? No, nah, I'm with you. But that's why, you know, as, as I see Fleury doing this, I started to go through some of the other numbers. Someone sent me a stat that this year in, in baseball is going to be the first year since the first season of the Toronto Blue Jays that they're going to start the season without a 300-win pitcher Oh, wow. And a 500-home-run player. And something else. I'm not sure what it is, but another one of those, like that, like, you know, baseball's always been the big counting stats sport. Yeah, 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 yeah. But this year, like, so the Blue Jays and the Mariners came in in 1977. This year is going to be the first year since then that they've started the season with no 300-win pitcher and 500 homer hitter. And we're starting to see this in all sports now. I think this is just another example of how everything in sports is changing. About how we, like, like we always say, like, this person's the greatest ever. No, like, to me, the greatest player ever in baseball was probably Babe Ruth. But there's no way of comparing anybody now to him and the whole way we're going to measure greatness now and even with generations that were closer to us than Babe Ruth have yeah. completely changed. So when you know, I watch when I watch Fleury right now, to me, it's the real end of an era. It is well, the it, end of that goalie era. He's the last one standing. You know, it, it really is an interesting point about sports. And, you know, for the purposes of this podcast, obviously hockey. Uh, I, I really do marvel at how um, sports science, nutrition, rest, um, technology, all of it has made athletes better, like much better, much healthier, yet careers are still shorter than they ever were. And I think that's the nature of just, you know, how competitive uh, sports is just because of how much money is involved now uh, than there ever has been before. And I think to the point about, like, bring this all back to goaltenders right now. I just think that the way that the game is played right now, it's just too physically taxing 
for you to play anywhere close to a thousand games. Like we all see goaltenders go up and down during a game and that's wonderful, but that's just in the game. You don't see how many times they do that in practice and all the pressure on the knees and the pressure on the yeah. hips over and over and over. Like, I don't think your body, no matter how much, you know, advanced technology you have either in your equipment or your training is going to offset that. I just, and think also that you don't allow it. Like sports don't allow that anymore. Yeah, it's true. Um, congratulations to Mark Andre Fleury, man. It was great to see him after the game too. Just like the biggest smile in the world. Yeah. He's, one, he's never lost the passion. One more year. I one more year, Elliot. One more. Okay. Well, I, there's two more teams I want to talk to on our, about on our U S tour. Okay. New Jersey I was gonna throw... and Vegas. Oh, okay. Uh, Vegas snapped a losing streak. They did. Um, you know, so a week ago we saw Vegas at the outdoor game in Seattle. And uh, sometimes I think the outdoor games are a bad gauge of, uh, of who you are and where you're going. But honestly, that was one of the worst games I've ever seen Vegas play. Um, you know, we interviewed Bruce Cassidy and Kelly McCrimmon the day before that game. And, and they, they weren't panicked or anything like that. Um, they were calm. And, you know, the one thing I thought they both talked about was we know what we have here. We, we, we know we have a, a very mature, very smart team and they know what it's going to take. And I generally agree with that. I, then you take a look at them. They lost an outdoor game and then they lost to Florida on the Thursday and before they beat the Islanders and I'm not going to say that their feeling of, okay, we're not panicked here ended because I don't think that's quite true, but I do think there was definitely a feeling like, okay, enough is enough. Like enough is enough. It is time to start playing. Like I heard after that game with Florida, whether it was Thursday night or, or Friday, I would assume it was the Friday in between the Florida game and the Islander game. There were some pretty honest conversations and meetings about what was going on and it's time to stop and it's time to start playing properly and they came out and they beat the islanders so i'm curious to watch vegas right now because someone i know who listened to our interviews with them and, and them all saying yeah we know what we've got here we're pretty relaxed about it they said well that era of good feeling lasted about five days <laughs> and, and 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 you know like one of the reasons vegas won last year is because they have a really high standard for themselves and they just basically said, okay, kids, fun's over and it's time to start playing. I think the other thing too is, you know, at some point here, you know, Vegas is going to decide, you know, what do we go out and, and what do we need? And uh, because, you know, that's what they do. And they, they go out and they find good players. And one guy said something very interesting to me about Vegas claiming Bjornfoot um, from the Kings. Um, and it's something that uh, Kelly McCrimmon talked to us about. You know, first of all, Vegas seems to have this love affair with former LA Kings and, and it drives all the Kings fans crazy. But secondly, it, it's, it's people say, what is Vegas watching when they go out and, and, and get players? Players who maybe haven't done well anywhere else. And Kelly talked about their scouting and people do really respect their pro scouting. They say that Vegas has made a lot of hits on a lot of other teams misses. So people are curious to see, you know, how Bjornfoot does there, but generally everyone knows that Vegas is going to go out and get what they need. And 
you know, I think one of the things people are talking about is they've got a lot of good unsigned players. We talked to them about Marcheseau and Stevenson. They've also got Carrier and Martinez. And, you know, is Vegas going to do what a lot of other teams do? And that is say to these guys, we want to know if you're signed by the deadline. And if not, do we just stay the course with some of those players? Or do we say, okay, we look for something else long-term? And do they think any of these players are being affected by the contract negotiations? Some guys I would say no. Some guys I would say a little bit more than others. But uh, there's definitely a sense that Vegas has kind of said, okay, it's time to get going. And, you know, I, I think knowing what they're like and, and in terms of unafraid to make tough decisions and the fact that they're absolutely demanding to win again, uh, I, I think there are teams expecting Vegas to go out there and start saying, okay, here's yeah. what we want and how do we go about getting it. What was it that, yes. that what was it that Kelly McCrimmon told us? Uh, how many viewings of Ivan Barbashev was it forty five? Uh, yeah, before they they pulled the trigger on him. This is a team that scouts well, and I knew I wasn't going to get the answer out of McCrimmon when I asked him. But you got to ask these things. Like he knows who he wants. I, I really you don't believe for one second that Kelly McCrimmon doesn't already know what he's looking for come trade deadline time. He, I'm sure he's identified plenty of plenty of options for the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, I agree with that. And Jersey, uh, yes, really beaten up. Yeah. Three top six forwards out, a good checking forward out, Noshik, two of their top four D out. Now, the thing that's really challenging for New Jersey here is that they're expecting everyone back. So everyone, people say, okay, go out and trade for help. Well, it's, it's harder to do that when you're expecting everyone back. Now, the one that, you know, people are kind of wondering is, is Hamilton. And if, you know, Hamilton's ETA is right around the start of the playoffs, I think, or a little bit into the playoffs. So you could fudge that one if you wanted to. Teams don't do that, Elliot. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That doesn't happen in this league. Stop, Elliot. Sorry, sorry. That doesn't, I apologize. I apologize. But you've got to get into the playoffs first, right? And so, like, that's the one thing. Like, I heard with Jack Hughes, again, they're hopeful they dodged the most serious thing there and they won't need surgery. We'll see. They're going to wait to see how it goes with his rehab. But when you're expecting everybody back, you can't just necessarily go out and make a whole bunch of trades, right? Like, they had to put Noshik on LTIR so they could even do a call-up. So... You know, they're going through it right now. And in, unless they're going to make a hockey trade where money goes out and money comes in, you know, they're they're probably in a situation where they have to just make it work with what they've got here. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, they, they put up a big fight against Vancouver, but they, they got beaten too bad early. Um, you know, it, it's hard to come back when you're struggling. It's even harder to come back when you're beaten up. Uh, a couple of things to that. Um, this really underscores how important and versatile a player like Dawson Mercer is yeah. who you can put him on the wing on a top line. No problem. Uh, Jack Hughes go down, goes down uh, back to his, oh, I guess, natural position uh, of center. Uh, you can never have enough guys like that in your lineup. So now all of a sudden Dawson Mercer becomes a real important piece here. And as much as everyone has talked about Luke Hughes and for good reason, he's been really good. So is Nemich. 
Nemec's, Nemec's oh, yeah. has been excellent for the New Jersey Devils. Like, of, does a Dougie Hamilton injury hurt? Of course it does. Does the Siegenthaler uh, uh, fractured foot injury hurt? Uh, of course it does. But I think sort of lessening the blow is just how good Nemec has been. For you know, team. people talk excellent. about like Nemec going in a deal for a veteran D. Okay, maybe that happens. But if I'm New Jersey, I don't know that I'm doing that. It would We're have going to, to talk be, about veteran defensemen in a minute, but I'm I'm not convinced I'm doing that if I'm the Devils, especially this year. I, I you know, like you may not make the. I mean, the Devils fans are going to go berserk when they hear this, but you may not make the playoffs this year, um, and you're trying to build something that's sustainable for a while with Hisher and Hughes and Meyer under contract. Uh, you know, like the bet. I what I'd be saying is. Anyone we trade for, are they going to be better than Nemec in two or three years? Mm-hmm. Like, how many defensemen the, in the league do you think? If they, like, I know he's the, young, I, I know he just started playing, but in two or three years, do you believe he's going to be better than, I don't know, what percentage, 50% of the defensemen in the NHL? Yeah, I think you're thinking that. Yeah. 75? What are we doing here? The, the only way, or one of the only ways I could ever see that happening is if, if New Jersey was involved in a trade with a team and the team they were dealing with, New Jersey needed them to retain a lot of salary to make their salary cap situation work. I don't know. That I, I listen, I'm with you. My default is listen, I'm the Sam Pollock guy, right? Don't give up on a player until you're one hundred percent. And and even then really give it a hard think. But I, I'm just trying to figure out like what would the situation have to be? What would the scenario have to be? Like, hey, if you sometimes you gotta in win a, in, a, in a team. Sometimes you're trying to win. I don't think this team is at that point yet. Like, they're still building, even yeah. though they're good. They're still building. I don't see them as a team that 100% has to win this year. If I traded that guy, every time I turned on the TV and saw one of his new team's games, oh, I know. I'd be I know. watching with like my hand <laughs> over my face and a gap between my ring finger and my pinky just peeking out to see what was happening i know i know i get it i get it okay um a couple of more things here um you know this was like the big story saturday on headlines uh yeah william neeland remember i said we're going to talk about defense we're going to do that don't worry we're going to get to blue liners here in a second uh william neelander and the deal closer than ever so this saga can finally come to an end and maple leafs fans can finally Turn their attention to Mitch Marner. What's going to happen to his contract on July 1st? Uh, but in the meantime... Well, you know, you know who's salivating at that? Like, uh, on the Leaf Regionals, and I think our next one is next uh, is on the 14th. Yeah. The, Nick a, is going to be all over that. Uh, you, got a, you got a new protein shake on the Regionals for the Leafs now. You, you can't... Like, it's so funny. You go from one to the other. You, it never stops. It's, it's going to happen. You watch. Oh, you no watch. Will. You so uh, it's when this podcast gets gets uh, dropped, it'll be it'll be Monday morning, and uh, I said on Saturday night, and I, I still say uh, I stick to it. I think it's possible this gets done on Monday. I think I said as early as Monday. I I, I think that's still a possibility. We'll see. Um, could be a real big emotional night when they play uh, San Jose on Tuesday at home. But uh, um, by the way, like just an. A1 performance from Nylander in the face of the media, both in Los Angeles and San Jose, as he answered questions about this. Like, I just, 
won't break the facade, but can't help with that bleep-eating grin right in front of everybody's faces. Oh, just yeah. Oh, yeah. Outstanding. Like, just outstanding. Anyway, it's going to get done. Um, they, uh, they're just, I, I think there's just some, I think it's probably some structure of all the bonuses and everything that are part of it. What percentage of it is bonuses, but it's going to get done and it's going to be eight years. And honestly, I don't know if the number is exactly 11.5. It's, it's, but it's right around there. It's, it's in that area. And, um, you know, I, I have to say, I have a few things I'd like to say about this because I spent, uh, you know, a lot more time just trying to figure out how this all worked. Now, I have had pe- there there is a belief out there that if the Maple Leafs had done this in the summer, they could have saved themselves a million or two. The more I've talked to people about that, the less I believe that. Like people are saying, okay, he got off to a big start. He got he he's on pace for his career high in goals, assists, and points. He's playing two more minutes a night. Than he ever has. If you sign him in the summer, you're not paying him this because the way he played. I know that's the conventional way of thinking. I do not believe that to be true in this case. And I and for two reasons. Reason number one is that if you go back to anything I've said about Nylander's negotiations going back to the summer, I've always said that Nylander was not going to be the only Maple Leaf to take a discount. You know, Austin Matthews got a massive deal, and I don't belabor or complain about these things. I believe you are worth what someone is willing to pay you, and you should never undermine yourself unless you want to for whatever reason. Matthews took a a massive deal. He's a 60-goal scorer. That's goal scorers get paid, and I always believe that Nylander wasn't going to be, you know, $3 million a year or less or more less than Matthews. That's just what he believed and what his camp believed, and it wasn't going to happen. And I believe that was exactly what happened here. Like, I, I just don't think he was signing for eight and a half or nine or 10 if, if it was going to be 13.25 for Matthews and whatever we see here with Marner. But the second thing is, and I've talked to a lot of people who have negotiated with and against Lewis Gross before, And I've asked about his reputation, and he represents Nylander. And basically what he does is when he comes to meet with you, he says, this is what I feel my client deserves. And he doesn't budge from that when he has the leverage. And he didn't budge from that in the summer. And especially as Nylander started, he didn't budge that from that as it happened. And also there's, you know, there's, I, I've tiptoed a little bit about the Michael. It's funny. I got a call on, on, on Friday after the podcast dropped about Michael Nylander. And he said, and the guy said, boy, you really tiptoed around Michael Nylander. And I go, I hate talking about families. <laughs> yeah, and he yeah. goes, this is I not normal. And everybody knows it's not normal. And you can say it. Look, Michael Nylander had a feeling he knows the business. He knows what his son's worth. And he felt his son was going to get what he felt his son was worth. And I want to say this too about Willie. Willie Lander is not like some dupe here who's getting manipulated by other people around him. I think he's a pretty stubborn guy too. And he's another guy who also believes I am worth what I feel I'm worth. And I don't feel it's just his dad doing it or his agent doing it. And he's just going along. I think... I think he plays a big role in it too, which is totally fine. 
whatever, they set a number. And I don't know if 11.5-ish was the number. I don't know if they moved much, if at all. But it was around here. It was close to here. And they were not bending. They said, if, if, if you want Willie in Toronto, this is the number. And in the summer, the Maple Leafs were not willing to go there. They were not. And obviously now they are. And I think, again, there's two reasons that they got here. Number one is the way Willie played. Nylander has played extremely well. He's a good player. Good players are hard to replace. If you lose him, and I know Nylander drives people crazy. He drives me crazy sometimes the way he plays. But if you lose that production, it's very hard to replace it. You're constantly chasing it. And the second thing is, and I think this is the key thing here, even more so, I think over the summer, the Toronto Maple Leafs made it clear that they would consider trading Nylander for a top defenseman. And there just wasn't anything out there. And part of the reason is that teams who were going to trade for him, they didn't know if they were going to be able to sign him. And so nobody's trading a, a, a top D or a really good D for a Nylander that you don't know if you're going to be able to sign. Like, look how hard this negotiation was going to be on Toronto. It wasn't going to be any easier anywhere else. And so that made it difficult for Toronto to make a deal. They had no deal to make. But I think from the beginning of the season until just before Christmas, when Toronto really reengaged, and I think a lot of this restarted again just after their trip to Sweden, I think the Maple Leafs, and this is what another team told me, and I'm sure we'll ask them after this is all over. But I think the Maple Leafs went through the league and said, if we, if we let him go and we use that money to build the blue line, who is the defenseman that we could go get that would be impactful enough to, in its own way, fix the loss of Nylander and his production? And Jeff, you know what? I was spending this afternoon watching, by the way, there's nothing more depressing than the last week of NFL regular season football. Like it's it's just <laughs> like you realize the playoffs are great. In a month, I'm going to have to talk to my wife on Sundays again. Nah. But she I, feels I was going the same. through the, the, the list. <laughs> I'm sure she does. I'm sure she does. But Jeff, like go through the league. They, and I, I'm the same way. I'm like, okay, they, they, they got to go out and they got to get a defenseman. Who is the impact defenseman that is they're going to be able to get? That's who it. Who you no can one, say no is going to minimize no. the impact of what you're going to lose up front with him. No, you're not going to find him because teams aren't letting go of those players, specifically on the blue line. Elliot, what have we talked about the last however many years and, and, and now? Jeff, if you, if you, I, before you just go on here, and I'm going to leave it to you because I've been talking for 11 minutes straight, but that, I believe, is what they decided. They said there is not a defenseman that we can get our hands on who is worth losing this player. And that is when I think they dove back into this. You know, once upon a time towards, um, uh, towards the end of the initial William Nylander saga, uh, with the Maple Leafs and that contract, there was a lot of talk about a move with Alex Petrangelo and William Nylander between Toronto and St. Louis. Yeah. The thing, the thing about defensemen now more so than ever, if you look at the last however many Stanley Cup winners, okay, 
the Vegas Golden Knights, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Colorado Avalanche, the St. Louis Blues, what do they all have in common? They can all defend. Yeah. They may not all have the flashiest players. They might not have the guys that are on the cover of video games or on TikTok videos. Like, they probably don't have those players. Mm-hmm. What they do is they have a lot of guys who can defend. Yeah. How many times have you talked to a general manager and they've talked about whatever, blah, 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 and we have to defend better? You look at cup champions. Those teams know how to defend. And those players don't, the teams don't let go of them. Like it was, I, and I understand it. We've been through it before on, on why Doug Armstrong made the decision that he did and, and Duggan and firm on the no move with Alex Petrangelo, but guys like that don't escape. Yeah. They don't. And that's why Vegas is right there to Alex yeah. Petrangelo is available. Boom. We're making room because those guys don't become available. Yeah, like they, the Maple Leafs weren't going to get that impact defenseman that can defend. And I heard it's, that was a very big factor in all this, as in we do our research and we figure out if we let him go, yeah. is there a defenseman we can get who minimizes the loss of him up front? And I think are, they decided the answer was no. Yeah, they're, because they're, either they weren't available that's the or, they, or they couldn't make a deal. Well, because again, for Willie Nylander, he's the, these teams don't know if they can sign him or you have to give up something else that you really don't want to give up. Or again, they're just not available. I okay. think they just felt there was not a defensive option that made sense. And I so, think that was a huge factor in this. So as this um, uh, entire soap opera uh, played itself out, I think it was last mm-hmm. week I said to you on radio, um, when it became a little more obvious what the number was going to be for Nylander, I said something along the lines of, does this impact Elias Pettersson and the Vancouver Canucks? And you said, no, 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 no. So you shot that one down. Okay, fine. Well, you know, can I say something about that? Yeah. Like, I think the numbers always impact people, but the point I'm making about Pettersson is the, the number one thing that's going to impact him is when he's ready to talk. Like, like, like he he has made it very clear he's not yet ready to talk contract with Vancouver. So like to me it has no like William Nylander signing this week, assuming it gets done and I think it will, it has no impact on Pedersen because you can't sign Pedersen until he's ready to talk. Yeah. Will the number have a factor? Sure. But that's what I'm saying here. Okay. Just so because Nylander signs doesn't mean Pedersen's gonna wake up on Tuesday morning and say well, he's done. Yeah. Cha-ching, time to cash in. No, he's not ready yet. Okay, so you know me though, Elliot. Like, I'm not going to just yeah. take that one. I'm going to come back with another name because <laughs> yeah. I live to annoy you. Yes. How much is Miko Rantanen smiling right now? Who's up in 2025? You, you know, I, I I have to say, like, look, like, it's all great. Like, the one thing is, it's a 50-50 league, Jeff. If one guy gets paid, somebody else doesn't, right? That's so, the salary cap, player versus player. Yes, right. So when people say they raise the bar, yeah, they raise the bar, but unfortunately for someone else, they get squeezed. However, the one thing I, I do think is different about the NHL is the top players now are saying, uh-uh, 
we're getting paid. Mm -hmm. Like th there's a bunch of agencies that do both NHL and NBA players. Some do more, but the, the, the people in those agencies, the NHL guys tell me that in the NBA, it's the feeling is like, no, 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 I'm the star player. I get paid too bad what everybody else thinks. The NHL's history from a star player, especially in the cap era, is no, 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 I take a little bit less. McDavid. And I think that's starting to change in the NHL. McDavid leaving money for Dreisaitl uh, yeah. is the perhaps the most obvious point. Okay, uh, a couple of more things. We wrap up the A block here and uh, get to the Montana's thought line. The Ottawa Senators, you mentioned Saturday, Steve Steos, uh busy letting people know that Ottawa is open for business. Yeah, I, I think this, though, I think it's a specific kind of open for business. Again, it's you plan, God laughs. We've talked about it. Uh, Dorian was supposed to be GM all year. He's not. Smith was supposed to be coach all year. He's not. The team was supposed to contend for the playoffs. They're not. I thought Brady Kachuk was really good on after hours on, on Saturday night, basically saying that as far as we're concerned, we can't give up. We have to play until we're officially out or talking about the Blues in 2019. He's a Kachuk. Um, He's a Kachuk. The, the, blue, the, the blue, yes, the Blues, the, the patron saints of we don't give up hope in January. Um, but so he, a player has to think like this. I don't think the Senators are giving up on their young core. I, I, I've heard they think that's way, way, way too premature. But they are looking for pros. That was the word I heard, pros. Players who know how to play, play the way that you need to win in this league. Um, they take care of themselves a certain way. Like Ottawa has Giroux, um, and he's certainly like that, but they feel they need more of that. And that's what they're looking for. And, uh, you know, I, I, the other thing I heard on Sunday, someone called me back and they said, look, they're, the other thing too is they're not just necessarily looking for guys now. It, I think they want to bring some guys in who can help now, but I think they're willing to consider players who are both short-term and long-term guys as long as they're like true pros. Like that's what they want. They they want to bring more of those players into their organization. And um, I think this has been a really tough year there. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I, I think that like it's kind of a tough balance. We've talked about how the players said that it's too crazy there and they have to calm it down. Well, like I said last podcast, I, I think there's a difference between calming it down and allowing your players to be too comfortable. And like, like I said, I think the Senators feel that they are and they want to kind of, you know, change that a little bit. I don't think they're in a rush. Like I said, I don't think they're in a rush to change any of their core players, but I, I think they definitely want to get a more of a sense of urgency uh, out of their group. You know, the worst thing you can do in sports is get used to losing. And I think they're a little worried that some of those oh, guys yeah. are, are getting That's... a little too used to losing. That's why rebuilds are so scary. Yeah. They are so scary. Even if you pick up all the prospects in the world, but you have a culture of losing and this is what we do. And here's when we quit. Oh, I totally get that, Elliot. Um, okay. like, like, you know, like the, the, the one team I'd, I'd like to talk about is just a little bit here. The Jets, they win 6-2 on Sunday night. They uh, hold Arizona to 17 shots. They're back in first place in the league by two points on the Rangers and Boston. Um, and, you know, if you take a look at the Jets, 
they they have a lot of guys signed to long-term deals, including some of their best players, including two who they signed uh, right before this year. But if it, you know, if you look at the rest of their roster around them, they've got a lot of good pros, and you know, if, if I've tried to watch them a lot more lately, and um, you can see they like they've talked about how they've gotten a lot of the distractions out of their room. Like just you know, you heard Rick Bonus say everybody wants to be here, but you look at a lot of the guys they've brought in. Like I have follow, good pro. Nemesnikov, really good pro. Like I, I, a bunch of guys told me like Nemesnikov, just underrated in terms of how much he just loves hockey and yeah. maybe he's not the high end offensive talent that people thought he might be, but a really smart player who's a really good pro. Niederreiter, you know, good pro. Um, guys like the guys they've brought in on D, Dylan, Schmidt, good pros. Laurent Brossois, who they had before, but now he's got a reputation. Good pro. Like if if you take a look at the some of the singles that they've hit over the past couple of years, like a lot of those players have turned out to be really good pros. Brendan Dillon, like just good pros, and that's they're really benefiting from that this year. You know what's remarkable about Winnipeg to me, and I'm just going through their schedule here right now. Um, getting into November, from November to now, you know how many times they've allowed three goals in a game? Well, aren't they on a streak of like twenty, like twenty-five in a row or something like that? It's remarkable. In in, you know in, that in sixty minutes, I know. You know that's going to end because you just did that. I, by the way, that Jets <laughs> social media account—they're ruthless. Oh, I love it. They, Oh, why not, though? People. Why not? So let me just say that if that streak ends, Merrick brought it up, not oh, me. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I'm thanks. already the star of one team's commercial. I don't need to be the star of another team's commercial. <laughs> okay, so let's conclude the A block then, Elliot, before you get in any more hot water and star in any more team's commercials. How about that? Uh, quick pause, Montana's thought line after this. Listen to the 32 Thoughts podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. It's time now for Elliot to say his signature line. It's the Montana's Thought Line, folks. Montana's Barbecue and Bar, Canada's home for barbecue. Elliot. Try the ribs. 32 thoughts at sportsnet.ca 1-833-311-3232. Yes, it's its own hashtag. Try the ribs. 32 thoughts at sportsnet.ca 1-833-311-3232. Uh, before we get to some of the questions here, we do have five prize winners who won tickets for the 32 thoughts show uh, January the 18th at Wicket Hall in downtown Victoria, part of Scotiabank Hockey Day in Canada, which takes place between the 17th of January and the 20th. Uh, our show starts at 2 o'clock and expected to join us, former Vancouver Canucks defenseman Kevin Bieksa, who was spitting fire at Nick Cousins on Saturday. Row! And Brian Burke, uh, other NHL alumni in the Stanley Cup, will be aboard as well. Here are the five, uh, and they all had great submissions. Uh, Chris Gilmore, a.k.a. Gilly, uh, Elliot actually submitted 32 of his own thoughts about why he should be wow. one of the winners. I know, it's pretty great, eh? Like some of them are sort of, you know, 
pander pandering, like longtime listener, longtime supporter. Of yeah, but still, that's score. effort. That's okay. Overworked public servant would make my day. I love that one. Um, really knowledgeable in Victoria local microbrew scene. Happy to give advice and or buy pints. 13th is his birthday, would make an awesome present. And maybe most of all, according to Chris Gilmore, he tried the ribs. So you are going. Also, uh, Jeremy Arksey from Victoria uh, said he's very much looking forward to uh, going and meeting Brian Burke uh, and meeting Kevin Bieksa as well and submits fantastic job, Griff and Dom. Mediocre job, Jeff and Elliot. Well, that is the truth. So you get to go for there. Uh, Connor Pickard in Victoria is going as well. Um, said he really appreciates everyone coming out to Victoria. Uh, Johnny Harris um, is going as well. He submitted a great one and wonders about other towns, villages, cities uh, that pleasantly surprised you with their rich hockey roots and communal love for the game in other previous hockey days in Canada. Mine would be Winkler. Uh, I didn't know much about Winkler till I went to Winkler. Elliot, is there one location for hockey day that really sort of warms your heart? Uh, the, one of the ones I really remember well uh, was Lloyd Minster. So I would say oh, yeah. that was probably the one. Because uh, it was the first time I ever saw Brian Trottier perform, and I really liked that. Oh, so, so, good. so uh, good. That that left me with a great memory. I would say Lloyd Minster. Johnny Harris also uh, recommends uh, to order a fish burrito from Taco Fino. Okay. And, and a shaft from any bar while you're here. You won't regret it. Uh, I'm guessing Taco Fino is in Tofino, which I don't know if you've ever been to Tofino. Uh, Clackwood Sound, it is gorgeous. Uh, the hot springs are fantastic. I went whale watching there for a couple of days many, many years ago. Saw a lot of orcas and a 40-foot gray, and it was gorgeous. And lots of puffins, Elliot, lots of puffins. Um, but also getting a ticket as well. And this may be the best one. Jugpreet Bajwa, who um, who sang a song for us, Elliot. Uh, he sang a, a cover of Stevie Wonder's I Just Called to Say I Love You. Let's hear a little snippet of it right now. I just called to say I love you. I just called to say how much I can. I do. I just called to say I love you, I love you, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Can I, can I ask a question after hearing all this that somebody wrote a 32 Thoughts answer and this fantastic song that, that was just written? I would like to ask everybody who listens to this podcast to say, have you ever listened to a podcast before where the listeners had more talent than the people on the podcast? Does that not just seem weird? You know what I've always felt, just as a quick aside, you know what I've always felt about doing, well, specifically sports radio? It's the one profession in media where your listeners slash viewers know more than you do. That's kind of how I go into every single program, assuming that everybody knows more than I do, because generally that's true. And by the way, uh, Jugpreet, that was such a great version of it. And I'd like to point out as well, uh, if Elliot sang that song, it would sound like this. I just called to say 
I love me. That would be Elliot Friedman's version. I, I, of while while the classic. lyrics are true, it wouldn't have sounded that good. I I would say this. I have yeah. I am the most off tune person in the world. Yeah. Nobody sings work. Well, actually, I should say I have a really good friend. Uh, guy's name is Dave Miller. He's the only yep. more off key guy than I am. I'm second worst in the world. So you're good for karaoke then? No, karaoke is not supposed to sound good. No, I, karaoke is supposed to sound bad. Nobody needs to be. Nobody needs to be subject to that. Nobody. Do you have a karaoke tune, by the way? I'm not a big karaoke guy. I'm not. I have one. Johnny Rivers, Secret Agent Man. That's it. That's the only one that I can do. That I'm sort of. Like I am. I am with. just shrugging at what an awful rendition of that song. There's a man who leads a life of danger. Oh, it's so good. Okay, let's get to the questions here. Uh, thank you for all those uh, those five submissions as well. You're all going to the show in Victoria. Uh, Andrew submits this. Happy New Year to you both. I discovered 32 Thoughts about a year ago. It's become a big part of my life already. Thank you, sir. Uh, I live on the California Central Coast, which is not a prominent part of the hockey world. After decades as a here and there hockey fan, I've been diving in pretty deep the last few years as a Sharks fan. And the podcast has been an excellent way for me to strengthen my knowledge and understanding of the game. So thank you for that. A few weeks ago, there was a thought line question about cross sports trades. I happen to be reading Jeff Kirbyson's wonderful book, The Hotline, how the legendary trio of Hall, Hedberg, and Nielsen transformed hockey and led the Winnipeg Jets to greatness. On page 26, and he, he did a, a screen cap of the page, he actually describes an attempt to have this done. He enclosed a photo and the page for reference. So here's the story. Jack Kent Cook, LA Kings and LA Lakers owner, tried to get Arthur Wirtz, Blackhawks, and Bulls owner to trade Bobby Hall for Wilt Chamberlain. Wow. It's actually even more interesting since Cook thought that transforming the Kings this way could help keep the WHA from succeeding. As Kerbison says, it's not clear if a trade like this would have been allowed, but it does make for a fascinating historical what if. I can't find anywhere else where that specific idea is. I'm not saying that it's wrong. I just can't find Elliot anywhere else where it's referenced. But for sure, Jack Kent Cook offered to take Hall off Wurtz's hands, offering $1.4 million. $1 million to Hall and $400,000 to Wurtz. Uh, Cook thought he could sign Hall and keep him from the WHA and save the NHL a major headache to say nothing of millions of dollars. And I always wondered, if that happened, would we have the Oilers, Coyotes, Hurricanes, or Avalanche in the NHL today, Elliot? If the WHA would have collapsed early, there's no answer to that. There's there's I no answer. That's a great question, but there's no answer. Now, one thing that was bothering me, and this is where I should really be the NBA expert on this podcast, and not you, even though you covered the NBA. I don't even think you knew this one. So something didn't sit right with me when we had that conversation about cross-league trades, and I brought up my Curtis Joseph example. Um, it actually has happened between the NHL and the NBA. So let me back up here. The Atlanta Hawks and the New York Nets. So... Compensation for Julius Irving, Dr. J, from going from the NBA's Hawks to the ABA's Nets 
was a fourth-round pick in the NHL draft, and that was Pat Pat Ribble, defenseman. I remember Pat Ribble. Uh, played, played, yeah, remember played for number team, played for the Maple Leafs, I think, Briefly. for parts of yep. one season. Mm-hmm. So the Hawks and the Atlanta Flames were owned by Tom Cousins. The Nets and the Islanders were owned by Roy Bowe, who was the original owner of the, the New York Islanders. And so as part of the compensation for that happening, he sent a draft pick to Atlanta, 58th overall, fourth round, and the Atlanta Flames drafted defenseman Pat Ribble. Wow. So technically, or not so technically? Not so technically at all. It's actually happened though, Elliot. We could find that we discovered one. We got one. Nice job. Really nice job. A lot of work. Uh, Let me just say, I was about 30 seconds from going on air last night to talk about the, or on Saturday night to talk about the Nylander <laughs> signing. And I'm getting a bunch of texts from Merrick all excited because he got a basketball hockey trade. I'm like, Merrick, what do you think I'm doing at nine o'clock on a Saturday night? What do you think I'm doing while I'm watching you? Yes. Uh, other stuff. Um, Jesse from Coburg. Uh, hey, Jeff Elliott Dom. I'm from Coburg, home of Mr. Game 7, Justin Williams. Yes, who's doing a great job on our air. He sure is. I have a follow-up to your question about which NHL numbers has the most all-time points. That was a fun one. That was number 10. Although I love the classic numbers in the game and the history that comes with them, I also love players who choose unique numbers. For example, I'm a big fan of Andrei Svechnikov, who wears number 37. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you have a specific player and or number that may not be worn often, that you love or loved seeing on the ice. Uh, thanks for the pod. Listen while studying in the best student city in Ontario, not London, not Guelph, but Kingston. Go Gales and Frontenacs. I think we can both agree on one, I think we both agree on one thing, that that's wrong, but go ahead. Yes, that is wrong. <laughs> Even though my nieces are there, that is wrong. Um... <laughs> You know, yes, there's a couple. First of all, I remember watching John Davidson wear double zero with the New York the Rangers. Uh, they went to the Stanley Cup final against the Montreal Canadiens in 1979, and John Davidson wore double zero. I love that. Um, mm-hmm. I remember Neil Shee wearing zero in those great battles between the Calgary Flames and the Edmonton Oilers Battle of Alberta. She, a defenseman, he wore zero. Uh, I, I always enjoyed that. I had a. I always appreciated Yarmer Yager wearing 68. That was not a joke. Yes. That was Prague Spring and is a yep. someone who really used to be a student of history a lot more than I am now. Uh, I always admired Yager's reason for wearing that number. But there were two other ones that were different and kind of fun and interesting that I always remembered. Number one is, do you remember Steve Hines? Of course, yeah, 57. Hines, 57. Yeah, of course. So I, I always thought That's that, a great one. <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. And the other one I remember is the current general manager of the Buffalo Sabres, and I've never asked him this directly, but it's been told to me before. He wore, his number in the NHL was uh, for a while was number 42. I don't remember if he wore it everywhere, but he wore mm-hmm. it in Toronto, And the reason is um, there was a book that was very popular when I was a teenager called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And the answer to the ultimate question of life was 42. And the story goes that, and if 
If it's wrong, I'm sure I will hear this, but apparently Kevin Adams wore number 42 because of that. And I never read that book. And the reason I didn't was because a lot of my uh, friends read it and they were so pretentious about it, I refused to do it. <laughs> Didn't Ray Whitney wear 42 with the wings? Uh, I, I I can't remember off the top of my head. But I just remember Adams wearing it for that reason. I love that. Uh, I hope that that's true. See, I'd kind of be scared to ask Kevin Adams that because I wouldn't want him to say, no, that's not the reason. I'd rather just live with maybe the lie that is that that's the reason why he wore it. Yeah, so Kevin, if that's wrong, don't call me. Just leave me alone. <laughs> um, a couple of things on the zeros, by the way, that you mentioned. Um, do you know why Neil Sheehy wore zero? No. Well, his explanation for why he wore zero, he said, I wanted a number that was the farthest away from Gretzky because that's where we were in terms of the talent that we had. And zero was farthest away from 99. That's pretty which funny. I used to always, which I really, he I was, really I was going to say opposite away from Gretzky because when he ran him, he wouldn't feel as bad. <laughs> Nobody hit Gretzky as much as Neil Shee did. Yes. Now, um, there's a couple of things on zero. Uh, John Davidson... Davidson wore zero on the urging, as I believe it, of Phil Esposito because Esposito wore 77 and he wanted all the guys on the Rangers because, hey, we're the New York Rangers to have really distinct numbers and double numbers like 77, 88, whatever it was. Like he wanted the Rangers to look different. And so Davidson grabbed double zero. Um, I always liked Bernie Perrant, uh, who wore double zero for the WHA's Blazers. He said, whenever a goal is scored on me, I look at the puck in the net and I say, uh-oh, which turned into zero zero oh oh. And so that's why he chose double zero there. Uh, the first person ever to wear zero in the NHL was a Montreal Canadiens backup netminder, 1940, Paul Bebeau. Uh, he was a non-rostered player, uh, so he wasn't assigned a number. And when he finally got into a game, they didn't have a number for him, so they just gave him zero. Uh, later on, he went on to wear number one and number 16, but he was technically the first to ever wear the zero in the NHL. I am with you about a million percent, and I have a soft spot in my heart for number 84. Oh, you know for no, nope. but that's a really good. That's a really good one too. That's a really good one too. He's a he's a good friend, and I just I texted with him just this morning. As a matter of fact, uh, I wonder if he ever looks street. at his phone and says, "Oh my God, not Merrick again." Nah, he was texting me about skates for. Oh, okay, so then oh. we do this all the time. <laughs> um, no, eighty four because of Guillaume Laton dress, mm. and the reason that eighty four has always been a special number is. If you look at the history of numbers in the NHL from zero to 99. Oh, wasn't he was always... the last one to be worn? Yes. Yes. You good. know it. Yes. Yeah, good. That was, that was the last number to be worn from zero to 99 in the NHL. So that night, whenever it was, when Guillaume Latendresse uh, suited up for the Habs and wore 84, history was made with Guillaume Latendresse. Nice. Okay, um, now that we've exhausted all of that, uh, Dan in Milwaukee, uh, I have a question regarding waivers. Okay, Elliot. All right. The Blues just called up Veranda from Springfield AHL. I'd be curious. 
Verana needed to clear waivers to be sent down. Yep. Still don't understand why Chicago didn't pick him. Ha ha. Yep. Why don't players need to clear waivers once they are called back up? Jack Campbell is another one that comes to mind. Love the show. Jelly Dom. It's thickening. Keep up the great work. That used to be the case, actually. After the uh, season-long lockout in 2005, they had something called uh, recallable waivers. And uh, I, I can't, it was, if you made over a certain amount of money, I, I can't remember what the number was, but you had to clear waivers coming back up. And we actually did a story about it on Hockey Night in Canada because I had a bunch of people reach out to me and say, you've got to do something about this because it's killing people's careers. Um, because if the players were called back up, the team that um, lost the player had to pay half. And so teams didn't want to call guys up because they didn't want to pay 50% of a salary for a player who's no longer on their team, right? At that time, there was not, you know, the, the, the sharing money on trades. That came later, so teams just didn't want that, and guys were getting stuck in the American Hockey League. They were called re-entry waivers, I believe, so they changed it. So now we're at a point where if you're sent down, you can be called back up without waivers. So it didn't used to exist. But the the Players Association fought hard against it uh, because the agents were demanding it, and it was one of the things they got in a future uh, CBA negotiation. Dan in Milwaukee, great question. We'll finish up with this one, Elliot. Brett submits this. Hey, guys, wondering if you have any insight into two recent calls against the Avalanche. Yes. In back-to-back -back games, they've been called for high-sticking double minors where there was no blood drawn. In my nearly 40 years of following hockey, I've always understood blood to be the deciding factor between two and four. What am I missing? Keep up the good work. Love the show. This is one of those, well, actually. Yes. I looked this up because I had people, I had Avalanche fans texting me about it. So I actually asked a question. And Jeff, you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I was told it's because if the referee doesn't see it and the linesman calls it, the linesman has to call four minutes. Is that correct? I don't know about that part specifically. All I do know is that um, there doesn't have to be blood for a uh, for a minor to turn into a double minor. As long as there's an injury or the referee determines that there is some type of injury, blood or without blood. Now, blood is an indicator, certainly of an injury. It's obvious, but that isn't the sole determining factor. That's where I was going on with this one. All right, Jeff, I just looked at the text that I got, and it's uh, rule 32.4 of the rule book that says the linesman can stop play if an injury that has resulted from a high stick has gone undetected by the referees and requires the assessment of a double minor. So if a linesman calls it, it's four. And Elliot, there is one caveat attached to that. Um, if there's a two-minute high-sticking minor that causes a fight resulting in majors being assessed, then the linesman can report the high stick, and it's only two minutes. But I believe that's the only circumstance. There you go. There is uh, there is your answer. Thanks for all the questions this week. Uh, Brett, hope you enjoyed that one. Uh, Dan in Milwaukee, uh, everybody that submitted uh, questions that were intended to get tickets, congratulations. Also, Jesse and Coburg, well done. And, man, we kind of went uh, out the door and around the block with Andrew, who had a bunch of questions of a historical event. So thank you for those. Uh, the Montana's Thought Line, Montana's Barbecue and Bar, Canada's home for barbecue. Wrap up the pod in a couple of moments. Keep it here.
Elliot, yet another start to another week. Now, other than the 32 Thoughts podcast, there's eh, not much else really to look forward to. Jeff, you are forgetting about Montana's Daily Deals. Their chicken wings are double-dusted in-house, cooked to a golden crispy finish, and they're half price on Mondays. Uh, Half price? Half price every Monday and sauced however you like them. Well then, head on down to Montana's Barbecue and Bar for half price wings every Monday. The only other thing exciting about Mondays. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. Okay, welcome back to 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Thanks so much for sticking okay, with okay. us. I, uh, I have something deep- I want to ask you. What? What? How are you on cold tubs? Uh, I've never done a cold tub. I've done plenty of cold showers, but not tubs. I've always wanted to. Actually, I've always wanted to do like Wim Hof method stuff with the breathing and everything, but I've, I don't know. I've just never tried it. I'd love to though. So gotta, y- uh, years uh, ago, years ago, um, like my sister and I, we traveled a little bit together. My sister lives uh, lived overseas in Thailand at the time. And uh, we traveled overseas together, went to Eastern Europe, and we actually went to a place in uh, Czechia called Karlovy Vary, which is a, like a big uh, spa town. And I remember I went to a thing and they did a hot bath, cold bath thing with me. And they tried to sell me on a cold bath plunge like every day. I was like, I don't like cold. I'm not doing this. So I was recently out in Seattle. I saw a close friend of mine and he is... He is spreading the gospel of the cold tub. And oh yeah. Yeah, now he's in great shape. Um, and he's telling me just like how how good it has been for him physically and mentally. So I am debating this. I am actually debating the cold tub. Like getting one? Well, no, I like wait a sec, Dom, you're a cold tub guy. What do you do? Uh, once a week, I just fill the bathtub with cold water, throw a tray of ice in there, and I stick my legs in for three minutes, and then I do my upper body for three minutes, and it's great. It uh, releases a happiness hormone, helps uh, decrease inflammation. It's really good for you. So you do it once a week? I try to do it once a week, yeah. There's some weeks where I slack, but I've been pretty consistent with it. What are you doing that you can't do six minutes a week in this? Like if you're so if you're so committed to this. I'll just forget. I'll just, it'll slip <laughs> I think my this mind. is a great thing for me, but sometimes <laughs> I just forget to do it. Okay. But you, but you, you believe in this, right? And you do six minutes total? Six total. Yeah. And it a hundred percent, it works, especially if you're active or you have aches and pains, it helps with pain management and whatever is it, with cold water in your body. It, it, again, it releases this happiness hormone and it just brightens your day and it just makes you feel good. It's weird. I don't know how to explain it, but it, it works. You do it morning or night? Um, usually in the morning. Uh, you know what? It's funny because this guy, he, who told me about it, he is, he said the same thing you do it, whatever it releases from your body, it does great things for you. Yeah, I um I got a buddy of mine, John Clardy. He's a drummer. Um, he drummed with uh, Tara Malos, the awesome band. Um, I met him when he was living in Dallas. Now, last time I checked in, he was living in Prague, uh, and he swears by it. Like he's that guy daily as well. John's been trying to sell me on this forever, and one day I'll actually, pardon the pun, take the plunge because I, I it, it it's true. Like every time I have like a blast of cold like a good like five minute cold shower, you feel fantastic after. 
You really did. like you've never had you've never had a cold shower before, Elliot. No, of course, of course I have. Of course I have. But I just don't really like them. Um, and this guy's a little bit older than me. I I think he's fifty five. Who told me about it? So and he swears by it. So so Dom, you just put the coldest water in, and then you drop in a tray of ice. Yeah. All right. That's it. I may and I may report back to you on this. Look out for Friday's podcast. No, hang on a second. Now you have to do it. I know. This is going to be the A block of Friday morning's podcast. Elliot and the ice bath. You're going to be the, you're Canada's ice man, Elliot Free. I was thinking of doing it at night, but you say morning, Dom? Uh, it's better to do it in the morning because then for the rest of the day, your body is heating itself back up and releasing those hormones. Whereas if you do it at night, you lay into a warm bed. The bed is doing a lot of the work that your body is otherwise supposed to be doing. I will report you back think, on Friday. You, you think Dom fakes the funk? No, sir. He's serious about this, Elliot. He knows what's up. All right, Dom. So we'll... Uh, Dom, you are too we'll smart to be working with us. We'll now pressure Elliot into doing this and uh, report back on Friday morning when uh, we will rejoin you and Elliot will regale us with stories of taking the ice plunge. Until then, enjoy the hockey. We'll regroup on Friday morning.